0: If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter 2, if you're following in the Chairback Bible in front of you, uh, that's on page 1014 or 1014. The title of the message this morning is The Church, God's Priests in the World. I think this is particularly fitting for us as a congregation, even after last week's message, uh, looking at the mission of the church in the midst of the world and, and asking that question, what's our mission? What has God called us to? And in this passage, Peter is challenging the church to be a holy people set apart for God. They are a holy priesthood, in fact, a royal priesthood. And so as we look at this text this morning, I want us to see that God is shaping and He's forming our lives really to fit into His spiritual house. He calls us living stones, as we'll see in a moment. And as the people of God, we represent God to the world. And we intercede before God on behalf of the world, representing the world to God. So this is our role, our calling as priests. And so in chapter 2... Beginning in verse 1, follow along as I read. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good and you come to him... As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word this morning. I pray that your word would speak into our lives. And God, that you would challenge us and equip us. As Dr. David prayed earlier to to walk with you, to follow you, that that our lives might be instructed, even as we prepare to leave this corporate worship gathering. For a week in the midst of the world. And so, Lord, let us let us draw near to you this morning as we hear your word and God, may you have all of our minds this morning and all of our attention, Lord, help us not to be distracted by other things, but help us, Father, to focus upon your word. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would illuminate our minds by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to love your word and equip us, God, to walk And to to live according to your word, applying it to our lives. And So this morning, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In verse 10, we'll begin in verse 10 this morning, but in verse 10, He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As the people of God, now having received the mercy of God, I want us to see two exhortations in this passage. Namely this, the first is that we, as the people of God, would desire the word of God. And the second exhortation this morning we'll see is that we as a people of God are to come to Christ as the one who leads us and directs us. And so as the people of God, we must look and see what Peter says in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that at, at one point, you weren't known as God's people. There was a time when you weren't known as the chosen people of God, and he's speaking to the church. And so for the church, we being God's people, have a specific role that we are to carry out for the kingdom of God. And so Peter is speaking to this, and he's speaking to the church, challenging the church to be living stones, to be holy people who are set apart for God. And particularly this people of God, God's people, They've received mercy. They've received the mercy of God. And that even has to do with chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Where in chapter 1, Peter says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, its glory is like the flower of the grass, the grass withers, the flower falls off, but God's word remains forever. And so he says, this word is, is the good news that was preached to you. It is the good news of God's word preached to us that Jesus Christ, living in the flesh, walked the earth, lived a sinless life, was perfect, died in the flesh, descended into the grave, and then on the third day he rose again from the grave, conquering death and sin, and ascended to the Father and has given us life. This is the good news and the hope of the gospel. And this is what is central for Peter as he's challenging and speaking to the church. And so first, I want us to see desire, that the first exhortation, that we as the people of God are to have a desire for the word. Verse 2 commands us, saying, long for the pure spiritual milk. I left out that word spiritual when I was reading, not intentionally, I just... Overlooked it, but he says, Long for the pure spiritual milk. Spiritual milk here, it's a metaphor for the word. It describes God's word to us. And for Peter's listeners, this metaphor carried added weight. Oftentimes, when they would go to the market to purchase milk, they would have to make sure that they were purchasing the real milk. It's kind of the difference when we go to the market today, I go to Walmart, and we, we go to the milk aisle, and we have what? Whole milk, we have 2%, 1% skim milk. We even have the uh, the half and half, our heavy whipping cream, right, which is probably closer. Chocolate milk, yeah, I forgot chocolate milk. Someone said chocolate milk. It, the, the point is, when they would go to the market, oftentimes the, wa- the milk would be watered down because the... the um, those who were selling the milk, they were trying to increase their profit and make the milk spread out more. And so this metaphor carried added weight for Peter's audience. The challenge for us is to actively seek nourishment from God's word instead of passively receiving the nourishment of God's word. You know, I think the key to this type of approach to Scripture is to say that when we approach God's Word, we are approaching God's Word with an expectation that we're going to learn something about who God is. We're going to learn something about Him and who He, who he is and, and, and what He wants to communicate to us about Himself. I think the key to this approach then is when we come to God, we're coming to Him with a desire for greater understanding. And so we are to long for the spiritual myth. We're to desire the word of God. We must desire coming to him and learning from him. When we read God's word, we're to meditate on his truth and we're desired to desire to know him. In Psalm 119, 131, the psalmist says, I, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. This how this this is how we as believers ought to be when we come to God's word. Listen, it, it's exciting to dig into God's word and to study God's word. It's exciting and it's fun when you when you uncover new truth, and, and it's just you and the Holy Spirit there with God's word, and He's showing you insight into His word. And so, what I mean by "we're to actively seek and not passively receive" is. If, if the only time we're digging into God's Word is when we meet as a corporate worship body, a corporate body of believers to worship, or, or when we meet in Sunday school, or, or when we meet in a, a, a men's group or a women's group in Bible so if that's the only time we're digging into God's Word, then here's the thing, we're missing a vital part of what it means to walk with Christ and to know the joy of, of reading and studying and learning about Him. I operated a lathe in a machine shop uh, last 2 years of high school and the first year of college and when i began one of the machinists trained me now granted it it wasn't rocket science what i was doing just running a lathe and and polishing uh polishing parts a choke maybe that that goes into the oil field but basically the the machinist said okay I'm going to teach you how to I'm going to teach you how to run this machine I'm going to teach you how to do this work and so one time he demonstrated for me how to run the machine how to polish this piece of metal how to polish it so that it could go to the next station and then he said okay it's your turn reluctantly I grabbed the choke I I did what I saw him doing. I put it in the vice. I began to tighten it up. I tried to secure it all, and he's watching me the whole time. He's correcting me in the the areas where I'm messing up, and he's helping me to make sure I'm not going to hurt myself and this thing's not going to fly off and and hit someone. And as he's doing this, I I realized in the midst of it, the best way that he could train me was to show me one time, sure, but then to say, here, you do it. Hands on application, right? And, And that's how it is when we come to God's Word. It's one thing for us to sit and to... And, and this is why we, we, we highlight expositional preaching as one of the marks of a healthy church because it, it does teach us how to unearth God's Word, the truths of God's Word, but, but we take what we learn from Scripture in, in a corporate setting like this or in a corporate Bible study and we go home and then we begin to dig into the Word ourselves and we, we begin to mine out the truth of God's Word. And so when Peter tells the church... Long for the pure spiritual milk. He's talking about wanting and desiring the truth of God's word. Why? Because the truth of God's word transforms our lives. So the exhortation is to desire the word of God. It means to engage with our mind, engage with our heart. What does it look like to do that? Well, he gives us a picture. It's a picture of dependency. This picture of dependency is illustrated there in verse 2. Look at how he says to do this. How we desire, like what? Newborn infants, right? What do newborn infants need most? They need to be fed, right? Now, they need love. They need to be nurtured and cared for and protected. But they need to be fed, and this is the picture of dependency that we as, as the people of God are to have when we come to him, when we come to his word. We are to be so dependent upon God for our nourishment through his word that we are like infants. He's feeding us. We're, we're coming to God's word and we're being fed by the truth of his word. We translate that to just practical application and every area of our lives, God desires that we would be dependent upon upon him, not just for understanding the word, but understanding how the word that he has spoken to us and, and taught us through scripture, how this word works in our lives and through our lives to apply to others as we come in contact with others in our everyday life. In everything we do, we are to be learning dependence upon Christ. As children, of, as his children, as servants in his kingdom, we are to approach God with a dependency as if we are infants, needing someone to nurture us, take care of us, provide for us. You know, I think oftentimes our approach to God is more like he's a consultant than he's our provider. And, and that's the distinguishment that I would challenge us on this morning. Are we approaching God more as a consultant for our life? Are we really approaching him as an infant approaches a mother who is in need? You see, he says, as newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, Even even the, the language as newborn infants, not just an infant who's learned to hold their own bottle, right? Uh, newborn, like uh, everything. We're completely dependent upon God in everything. I, I don't want that to seem extreme, but in one sense, it, it is like every aspect of our life. We we ought to be depending upon God, living by the Spirit. So are we like newborn infants looking to God for our sustenance, our food, our, our dependency in everything? And as we learn that we need to be dependent upon God. We see this picture of dependency. We learn that this dependency is also a, an exercise of diligence. We must be diligent, especially in verse 1. Look at what he says. He says we put away something. And At the end of verse 2, he says we grow up into our salvation. So first, we, we put away. This is the effect that God's word has upon the church, has upon believers, teaching us to put away Malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, right? You know what malice is? It's when we approach people with a uh, malicious intent. Or we have malicious intent about someone or, or about something. These can be described maybe as the fruits of the flesh. Those, uh, those fruits that come out from our lives when we're frustrated or we're upset with something. Or, or we're not walking by the Spirit in dependency upon God. So put these things away. You know what happens? The. The more we grow up into salvation in Christ, the easier it becomes for us to put those things away. Now, there are new things that surface in our life that need to be put away. There are new struggles that we realize that we're having. And by God's grace and by his spirit, we are continuing to be perfected in that way. But we Put away these things. These things, slander and malice and deceit and hypocrisy, all of these things, envy, they are not to characterize the body of Christ. And so he says, We are to grow up. This is an exercise of diligence because it requires hard work. We're to grow up in, into salvation. And here's what a life of dependency on God and a desire for God's word does. God's Word is the source of our nourishment and, and our growth, because you see what happens is God's Word becomes the thing which transforms us by the power of His Holy Spirit at work within us. And here's the thing: healthy cravings for the Word of God bring about healthy growth for the children of God. Healthy cravings for the Word of God will bring about healthy growth. For the children of God. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, eight taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what Peter says at the end of verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? God is gracious. He's good and good. as we read and study his word, as we live our life, surrender to him, as we're dependent upon him. There is this goodness of God that we experience in our day-to-day lives even. And so the people of God are to desire his word by depending on him so that we will grow into salvation. And as the people of God, the second exhortation this morning is that we are to come to Christ. In verses 4 through 10, look at what he says Verse first in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone. Peter just assumes the Christians are coming to Christ. He assumes that the church is coming to Christ. And the point is, our lives are to be built upon Christ. As God's people, the church, our lives should be built upon him. Jesus is the foundation Of the church. We see that in verse 4. In verse 6 through 8. It says of Jesus. As a living stone. Rejected by men. But in the sight of God. Chosen and precious. The picture we're given of Jesus. In verses 4 and 6. Is that he's the living cornerstone. Peter wants to draw our mind's eye. To see Christ as the living presence of God. Among his people. And he's saying there's no other foundation worthy of building our lives on. No other foundation. All other foundations are faulty. They will fail. Whether that's the foundation of trying to attain salvation by being a good person. Whether it's through some idea or form of religion. Whether it's through worldly achievements. All of these foundations will never bring us into the glorious presence of God. So Peter wants us to see that Christ is the living presence of God among us. The purpose of him using this analogy or metaphor of living stones is that the temple, was, the temple was built with stones. And the temple represented God's presence among his people. In fact, the temple was God's dwelling place. And so what he's saying is now Jesus is God's very presence, God's dwelling place among his people. And verse six says that he is a chosen and precious cornerstone. The significance of, of the cornerstone is like the foundation of a building. And so if the foundation's weak, the building won't stand. And so the promise then of verse six, behold, I'm laying in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The promise of verse six is whoever then builds their lives upon Christ, upon this foundation, upon this cornerstone. They will not be put to shame. They will not be put out. They will become the church, God's holy dwelling place. They won't be disappointed. They will trust in the true and living God. People do one of two things when they encounter Christ. And Peter knows this. They will either believe and build their life upon Christ as he is the foundation or they will reject him as verse seven and eight says they will stumble. Verse seven says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense The builders of this text were Israel, God's chosen people, a title which is now transferred over to the church. And the people had rejected Christ, the promised Messiah. And what he says is those who reject the gospel of Christ and don't believe, they stumble over Christ. They stumble over the hope of good news, the message of the good news of the gospel. Oftentimes, the second part of verse 8 is where Most people have difficulty where we have difficulty kind of wrapping our minds around what this describes about the nature of a loving God. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I think this passage is primarily speaking and dealing with the corporate identity of God's people, Israel. Not necessarily with the individualistic mindset that we often have in Western culture as we approach a text, as we approach Scripture. What does God's word have to say to me? And so what we see here is the people of God, Israel, had rejected Christ, the Messiah. And I think it's in line with what Paul says in Romans 11.25, speaking of the mystery regarding salvation of the Gentiles that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Regardless of how a person understands this passage, this particular portion of the text, it can't be said of God that God is unjust or that he's lacking compassion, for he's a merciful God. He's merciful toward us. And the takeaway from this text is that Christ is the foundation of the church. He is the living cornerstone. He is the one who died for our redemption. He satisfied God's wrath against our sin. It's his righteousness that's been given to us so that we might be children of God. Jesus' life and ministry established the church as the body of Christ. And he established the church to continue his mission in redeeming the world and proclaiming the gospel for the redemption of the lost. And so as children of God, we see that, number one, Jesus is the foundation of the church. And we see that as children of God, we're fashioned for a purpose in verses 4 and 5. That first phrase in verse 4, as you come to him... Then jump into verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. He continues the metaphor of of living stones. Kind of an odd picture, right? If you think about it in your mind, you think about a stone, and then maybe think about a stone with arms and legs, right, or, or living. It's breathing, has lungs. What's the point that Peter's making? He says we're being built up into a spiritual house, you see, the analogy, the metaphor, speaking of the church, you and me as living stones, we're being built up together. We're being fashioned into a spiritual house. That means my life, your life, our lives are being molded into the spiritual shape that God wants to mold us into. Into the shape that he wants me to be so that I'm fit for his kingdom and I'm, I'm fit for his service. It's a tremendous picture. As the word of God works in our life to transform us and change us, we realize that each of us have have specific gifts as we saw last week, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so we take these gifts that God has given us and we employ them in the service of the kingdom. We employ them to serve one another. And what? Christ is doing in our lives is he's shaping us and molding us to be that right fit in the church. And so again we we think about how important it is for us as believers within the church to use our gifts to serve the body. God has gifted us for service in his kingdom. And it means we're being good stewards of God's grace when we use our gifts to serve one another and to serve the body and then to serve our community. And so what a tremendous picture of how God takes us and, and uses us. It's as if I've, I would take this block of wood, and then you've got a chisel and a hammer. And to me, this block of wood, because I'm not very artistic, would look simply like a block of wood. I might think, what do you want me to do with this wood chisel? Like, you want me to knock it in half, make two blocks of wood? Right, but, but then to the artist, to the sculptor, they would be able to take that block of wood and create something beautiful out of that block of wood. I think it's the same thing with with our lives. God wants to take our lives and he wants to sculpt us. And he wants us to be this magnificent creation that he's created us to be. And as we see God's word and and study God's word. And we earnestly, we desire, we long for God's word. Guess what begins to happen? He's putting away, we're putting away all of those fleshly fruits. And we're growing by the fruit of the spirit. We're growing by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As he teaches us God's word. And we are being shaped and we are being molded into the people of God that he wants us to be. How does that work for the church? Well, the church begins to take on this beautiful form in the world. We begin to give off this effervescence of of the the beautiful aroma of Christ where we're interceding for one another, where we're encouraging one another, we're holding one another up, right? He, He calls us to be a, a holy priesthood, he says there in verse five. A spiritual house, a, a holy priesthood. What's the significance of the office of priest? Well, in the old testament, the office of the priest was was the, the man who represented God to the people, and then he represented the people before God. He was the go between. And so get the picture of what Peter is saying for the church. If we are to be a holy priesthood, a spiritual house, here's what we do, church. We represent God to the world, and we represent the world, or we come before God on behalf of the world that we're living in. And so when we seek to carry out this mission that we say is our, is our mission at Crosspoint, Crosspoint exists to make disciples of the nations for the good of all people and the glory of God. How are we being, how are we existing for the good of all people? How are we interceding for the, on behalf of the lost, on the behalf of those who, who are unconverted to Christ? Are we interceding as priests before God on their behalf? Uh, lost family members are those who are sick and Hurting? Are are we interceding? As priests, not only are we priests, but there's, there's an adjective describing priests. Holy. We're to be holy, set apart for service to God. The church is distinct from any other earthly organization. The church looks different than the world. And it's okay. We're to be a holy people. God says, I am holy Therefore, you be holy since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. First, Peter one sixteen. So we come to Christ. He is our foundation. He's building us up into a spiritual house, meaning we are being fashioned for a purpose. We are to be a holy priesthood. And we are to be a holy nation for him. We are to be a holy people and we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. If, if we think that our spiritual sacrifices only involve coming to a corporate worship gathering once a week or even a midweek gathering, then we've missed the whole point of what Peter is saying as far as our our offering before the Lord. Listen, as priests, we are continually offering offering our services unto God for the good of the world, for the redemption of the world. As you'll hear in a moment, for the life of the world in which we live, we are offering ourselves. This means, as as parents, we're, we're we're teaching the gospel to our children and and sacrificing our own personal time and doing that. Why? Because we want to present them as as an offering before the Lord, or as as a husband and wife, we're we're loving our, our spouse, we're serving our spouse. Why? This is part of our our service, our sacrificial service of worship. Are in the break room at work, we're. We're serving the Lord because we're making ourselves available. We're even sharing the gospel with people. We're taking conversations to the spiritual place so that we can make sure that we are are caring for the souls of those who don't know Christ yet. Because we're interceding for them in so many ways. Our financial giving—it's it's a sacrifice to the Lord. A, Waking up early in the morning to spend time in the word of God, because that's the only time we have during the day to do it. And and it means that much to us. And we're, we're longing, we're desiring for God's word, you see. This is the portrait of what it means to offer up spiritual sacrifices. We are fashioned for a purpose. And that is to grow in spiritual formation as a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. We're also fitted for a calling. In verses nine and 10, He says, "You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." First, we see how we're fitted, right? He gives us these, these descriptors telling us his adjectives, telling us of who we are. We are a chosen, We are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood, the chosen race. The status of Israel has now become the status of the church. We are a nation for God. We are a people unto him. And we are set apart for his service, his work, his mission in the world. A royal priesthood. We don't necessarily understand royalty today, but you couldn't just become royalty. You had to be born into royalty. And this is a tremendous picture but. We are given the highest status in the kingdom of God, royal priesthood. We are given royalty when we are born into the kingdom of God, when we're born again repenting of our sin and confessing that that we can't make it on our own, that we need Jesus and that he's Lord of our life. When we do that and confess him as Lord, we are are considered royal priests of who God is. And so we, as children of God's kingdom, being born again, now we have this eternal inheritance in Christ, we have direct access to the throne room of God, the God of the universe, we always have his ear, we are a holy nation, the church set apart. Unto God. And we are a people. Who are for his own possession. Christ purchased our lives. With his life on the cross. And as the one who has purchased us. He now indwells us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so we are his. As 1 Corinthians 6.19 says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? All right, so if God is forming us, shaping us into who he wants to be, and, and, and we are desire, desire his word, And as we desire his word, he grows us. He's given us of his Holy Spirit. We are a priest set apart for him. We've been brought into this church, into this spiritual building as living stones. And we're all being fit together using our gifts. And and, and on top of all that, we're not our own. We belong to him. Listen, his desire as he fits us for this calling. His desire is to use us to make his glory known in the world. And as we grow into this service in the kingdom, I want us to consider what our calling is. Our calling is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. As priests of God who are interceding on behalf of the world, on behalf of brothers and sisters, and those who don't know Christ. We are to be those who are proclaiming this wonderful, marvelous message of the excellencies of God. He's called us out of our darkness where we did not see him and know him. And now he's given us the light of Christ. He's illumined our lives. Is the light of Christ marvelous for you? Is it so marvelous for us that that we proclaim his kindness toward us? As we share with others? Is it so marvelous to us that we proclaim his love for mankind through Christ? Is it so marvelous that we're ready to share of his goodness toward others? We're ready to share of his grace. That we're ready to tell of others of the hope of salvation. Christ himself has called us out of darkness. He's given us light and so the two exhortations we see this morning, as we ask this question, where, where do we fit in the spiritual house of God? We're to desire the word and we're to come to Christ. And as we desire the word, we are shaped into his likeness and we're shaped into what, what he wants us to be. And as we come to Christ, we're standing upon the foundation of Christ. We are put into the church. We are built together as the church, as the body of Christ. And he shapes us and he molds us and he fits us for this calling. So I would challenge us this morning, church. What gifts has God given you that he so wonderfully desires You to use in service in the kingdom. As a priest of God. Think about your role in the lives of others. Think about your role as one who has been set apart for service to God. How does God desire to use you? How can we as the church work together to carry out the mission of making disciples of the nations? My desire, church, is that we as the people of God would constantly be asking these questions so that we're hearing from the Lord as he's teaching us through his word so that as we serve one another, we are serving our community and we're being evangelistic in our living, proclaiming, proclaiming this excellencies, the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness into his light. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, as we seek to serve you, it is our desire, Lord, that you, by your grace, would continue to teach us. Lord, that you would even create within us a a holy hunger and desire for more of your word. And God, I pray for each of us as we wrestle with what it means to be your priests, a kingdom of priests in the world. God, that you would help us to see our role in the lives and the relationships of those whom you've entrusted to us. Lord, we ask that you give us wisdom and vision on how to do that. We ask, God, that you would speak into our lives and, and show us as a church how we, we are to make a difference in the midst of this city. For Father, we know that your desire is to reach this city with the gospel. To reach the nations with the gospel. And so Lord help us to be evangelistic in our living. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.